So I just want to um, pick up where I left off last week. We were talking about dealing with doubt and, and, and how you uh, manage that. Because if you're going to trust God, then you're going to have doubts coming. You know, people who, set, people who don't set off to trust God don't have any problem with doubt because they've got nothing to believe in. But as believers, we have an issue which is called doubts. And you're going to have to do something with those doubts that come. You can't just, like, give in to them. You can't just absorb them and, and go along with them. Now, here's the bad news. So I'll give, I'll give you the bad news up front. I gave you this last week as well. You cannot stop doubts coming. I know, like, we have this thing, like, we've got to be macho believers, macho Christians, but you cannot stop doubts coming. And the reason you can't stop doubts coming is as long as you have an enemy called the devil, he's going to be trying to get you to doubt. And he's going to be planting stuff in your head and he's going to be badgering with you. And the stronger you get in faith, the more he's going to have a go. Now, that might sound like bad news, but it's actually a really good indicator that you're getting stronger and he's got something to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about people who don't try and believe anything. He just worries about those who, who try and believe. Now, here's the point. You know, we, we've talked a lot about grace and faith. And, and we looked at that in that, that whole thing when we, when we went right through Hebrews. Here's the thing about the enemy. He can't do anything to steal grace. He can't do anything to change it. And he can't do anything to affect it because grace was provided and paid for and won by Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus is now seated in heaven with all authority on earth and under the heavens and above, above the earth. And it's unchangeable. Yeah. And it's yours for free. Yeah. How cool is that? It's yours for free. That's because you didn't do anything to pay for it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to merit it. Jesus did it all. Yeah. And there's nothing the devil can do to you uh, to steal that except lie to you about it to make you think it's what it, something that it's not. He can try and get you to think that, that receiving from God is about your goodness and your earning it and your merit. And so he'll lie to you like that, but he can't actually steal grace. What he can do, however, is steal the other component of faith. Because it's by grace we are saved through faith, through believing it, believing it and receiving it, and that not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. So he attacks faith. And he's attacked faith of believers for 2,000 plus years now. So he's pretty good at it. And the first thing he'll do is he'll attack you, he'll plant a thought in your head and then go, what a miserable, useless believer you are, having them doubts. Here's something I, I, I want to just explain to you. How many of you know Jesus never sinned? Yeah? Yeah, Jesus never sinned. If, if, if you think Jesus sinned, you have got a real problem because you're not saved. <laughs> Jesus never sinned. However, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. So he had all these thoughts going on in his head. He had real temptations going on in his head. 
Temptation and doubt aren't the issue. Temptation and doubt aren't sin. It's when you do something and act on those doubts, it becomes sin. So when the doubts come, you have a choice about what you're gonna, how you're going to act on them. Are you with me? Yeah. I'm just laying a foundation following on from last week. So you have a choice how you're going to act on them. And you can't do anything to stop doubts coming. But you can learn to doubt your doubts. And I said, you know, I said that last week. You can learn to doubt your doubts. So when they come, when stuff's going on in your head and it's, and it, and it, and it's pointing in a different direction to the word of God and pointed in a different direction to God's goodness, you can learn to doubt that thought. To go, hang on a minute, just hold on. That's not, that's not the way God is. That's not what, how this thing works. That's not what I, what I know he's like. That's not what God's word says about him. So, are you with me so far? That's a quick recap of last week. So I want you to go to James chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to be in the, the Amplified Bible. Uh, you don't need to worry about it too much with this. Uh, quite, quite a bit of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning. Go to, yeah, James chapter 1, verse 5. And this is, this is what we talked about last week. So I'm not going to talk about wisdom and, and asking God for wisdom and that sort of thing because I covered that last week. If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent, that means good, kind, looking out for your God, who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and some translations say without reproach, and it will be given to him. I just want you to um, pick up that last, that, that last line. It will be given to him. Right, say, it will be given to me. It will be given to me. Why will it be given to you? Because... God answers our requests for wisdom. God answers our prayers without reproach. And a lot of people don't have a problem believing God can do something. But they have a problem believing he'll do it for them. Because they look at their own lives and go, I'm really not measuring up. And I, I can't do this. I don't know what to do about this. And I've made, you know, with some of us, we look at our lives and we go, and I made this mess. This was me that made this mess. Some of us are going, well, other people made this mess for me and I still can't do anything about it. And I'm just, you know, I'm in this mess now. And we, we don't have a problem believing God can do things. We do have a problem believing he's going to do it for us right here, right now. That word, without reproach, this is what it means. Even when you've messed up, you can go boldly before the throne of God and get what you need. Because he's not picking on you. He's not turned his back on you because you weren't perfect. He's there waiting for you to go to him to get the help you need to get out the mess you're in. And so when he says, you know, without reproach, even when you've really, 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 really messed up and your life's really, really, really messed up, you can still go to God and he's got the answer you need. 
I mean, how good is that? How good is that? You know, I, I, you know when you go to people uh, in the natural, you know, they, they, they go like, so why should I answer? Why should I answer you? Don't you know what you did? You're just getting your just desserts now, aren't you? You know, well, you know, you got yourself in this mess. You can get yourself out of it. That's the way people think. But it's not the way God thinks. So we need to just change our thinking a bit and think the way God thinks. And the way God thinks is, I love my kids. And I want to help them get out of the mess they're in. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so committed to that. When they come to me, I'm not going to barrage them and just tell them how they've got themselves in the mess in the first place and, and punish them for it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give the wis- them the wisdom and the help to get out of it. You know this, uh, this word doubt? Part of uh, the root of the word doubt, part of the definition of it, when you, you look back at the, the, the Greek words that are translated into doubt in, in the New Testament, part of the definition of it is to embarrass. To embarrass someone. Now, that might seem odd, but it's kind of like this. One of the reasons we perhaps don't trust God as much as we should and that we need to get past is we don't step out beyond what we can do because we think that if we fail, we'll be embarrassed and other people will like, reflect back on us. And so we stay constrained. We stay in this little comfort zone because we don't want to risk being embarrassed. That's why there's a link between doubt and being embarrassed. We, we don't, and, and because of that, we never go beyond, or, or we can get in a place where we don't go beyond what we think we can sort out. And quite honestly, there's no faith involved in that. There's no room for God to step in. When we say, we're going to sort it out, and I'm not, re- I'm not really going to go beyond what I can sort out, it, it closes the situation off for God. So we've got to get beyond that, well, what if, it, what if God doesn't come through? I'll get embarrassed. Because here's the truth. God will always come through. But we have to take a risk to see him come through. Because as long as we stay with what only we can do, he's not involved in the picture. So we have to trust him and go to to take us beyond what we can do ourselves and what we can see ourselves. Are are you getting this? Now, I want to set your sights a bit bigger. Set your sights a bit higher. So, you know, lift your chins up a bit, you know, do do a physical action to go with it. Because I want you to, sometimes, you know, we can get buried by the thing that's right in front of us. And we, we just head down, going through day to day, day to day. And our expectations of what we can see in our life and our expectations of God end up small. And God wants us to have big faith. He wants us to have great faith. He wants you to have great faith. And he wants you to ask for things that your mind can't get in agreement with. I'll just let you think about that because it's your mind that's got to get into agreement with this. God wants you to ask for things your mind can't currently get into agreement with. 
You see, God will put things on your heart that don't make any sense to your mind. And because of that, we, we can often dismiss some things that are God. God puts things on your heart that don't make sense to your mind. That's why you can't afford to live any longer with an unrenewed mind. Because part of being having your mind renewed is so you can see the bigger things that God wants to lead you into. You can, you can go into places with God that you've not been before. You can see things from a different perspective that you weren't able to see from. So God will often put things in our hearts to stir us to have our minds renewed. You see, the renewing of the mind comes by both the word and the spirit. So he stirs in our hearts the longing for something that he wants us to find. He stirs in our hearts the longing for something more. You know, when... if. Well, I'll ask you, how, how many of you believe there is more of God than you are experiencing? Yeah, so, oh, yes, we all go that. So, to see the more, and how many of you would say, well, I've been really trying to get there? All right, a few of you. Shame on the rest of you. But if there's more of God than we're currently experiencing, something needs to change in our thinking and in our mind for us to see it and experience it. And that's why God puts these stirrings in our heart by his spirit to lead us into the more, to lead us into the greater, to lead us into the greater faith. And the enemy's only way of stopping that is to get us to doubt what, the, what God has put in our heart. And, and God will place things in our hearts. He'll place dreams in our hearts. He'll place desires in our hearts. He'll place um, goals in our hearts that... The enemy will try and get us to doubt, well, that can't be God because I can't do it. I can't get my head around how that could ever be. You know, I, I went to um, a, a conference a couple of weeks back and, and it, it was a, a conference full of believers, full of Christians, and they were talking about various aspects of how bad things were in the UK today. They, they had a particular couple of topics they were talking about, but... There's, I guess, about 250 Christians in that room listening to these talks, which were good talks. And yet the prevailing atmosphere was, well, I don't see how it's going to change. We're, we're on the back foot. Do you know, we're never meant to be on the back foot because the increase of his government, there is no end. You see, God is, is working and increasing his government, increasing his influence right across the earth at this very moment. Our problem is we're not with it. We've not got the picture. We're not running with it. He's got ahead of us. And he's doing things that we can't even conceive of, can't even think of, because we're going, well, I can't see how it'll ever change. Well, but God, but God can change anything. He can move mountains. He can pull down kingdoms. He can destroy and build up. He can do anything. And, and we need to kind of get with God's agenda instead of ours, oh, I can't see how it can change again. And to do that, we're going to have to get a hold of some of the things that God's planted in our heart that our mind can't get round. Because if you analyse the situation and you look at the law and what's happening in government and all the politics and all that sort of stuff, you can easily convince yourself it won't happen. 
Why is that? Because the devil has rigged it all so you can convince yourself it won't happen so that the kingdom does not engage with the power of God to change things. And so that's what I mean when God will put stuff in your heart that won't make any sense to your mind. So for us, we have to really let God renew our minds. We can't be passive in it. We can't just sit there thinking, well, one day I might just get through it all if it doesn't get too much worse and we all go to heaven. That is pathetic. Previous generations would be so, they'd be distraught to know we thought like that. Can you imagine John Wesley walking into a room or Evan Roberts, the leader of the Welsh Revival, or Duncan Campbell, uh, you know, the Hebridean revival, and they walk in the room and we go, well, there's not a lot we can do. We're, we just have to get through day to day. No, it's about time we started believing God for the suddenly of God that he's going to change things. And to do that, we've got to let him put stuff and stir things in our hearts that are bigger than make sense to our minds. And let him change our minds. Are you getting this? Because it's a big concept. Now, here's the thing. If you step out in faith, if you respond to what God's saying to you, the first thing that the enemy will say to you, and I guarantee you'll say this to you, is who do you think you are? Because that's the first thing he said to Jesus. Who do you think you are? And you know what we do? We go, well, I guess I'm not much. You know, I just brought what I had. Little old me. Yeah, you're right. I'm not really up to much. Nobody will want to listen to me. How rubbish is that? You see, I am a child of the king of the universe. My dad created all this. He made all this. My dad is healer. My dad is deliverer. My dad is king of kings, lord of lords. He has all authority, all power. Everything out there pales into insignificance compared to him. And do you know what? He lives in me. He lives in me. He's not out there listening you know, and, and listen to angels playing on harps. He's alive in me. His spirit is in me. The Lion of Judah lives in me. And he's desperate to get out. He's desperate to get out. And, you know, it, it doesn't correlate, correlate him coming out with, well, I'm just little old me. No, you aren't. Just little old you. You are a new creation. You are a new species of being. And if it doesn't work for him to go, well, look at who do you think you are, the next thing he's going to do is remind you of all the stuff you've done wrong. And that's quite easy. When he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll scarper. You know, the word of God says, humble yourself to God. That means trust God. Put your eyes on God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Well, we should be experiencing a lot of fleeing. You know, we should be that's what we should be experiencing. We shouldn't be experiencing the devil getting at us all the time. 
if we're really resisting him. But we don't roll over and die. We don't give in because we didn't get the answer in 30 seconds like you do at McDonald's. We keep trusting God. Okay, go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Kind of quiet. I'm really excited this morning. Yeah. Take my yeah. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. That is, our faith gives us sufficient courage to freely and openly approach God through Christ. Now, this is what I want you to understand from this. You have open access to God. God wants to do some great things through you. God doesn't do great things through someone because they are great. He does them because he is great. And he shows his greatness more when he does it through people who the world would look at and go, really? Really? That person? That's the sort of person that God is looking for. So if you're the sort of person that people go, really? You're not up to much then they are exactly qualified to be the person that God is looking for to display his greatness through. Because they're the sort of people he works through. And he likes people to look and say, well, that must have been God because it couldn't have been them. You know, he he likes it when uh, people look at at what has been done, what, what has happened and go, it was God. He doesn't really get very excited when people look at what has been done and they go, well, they built that themselves. Where's his glory in that? We built that ourselves. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't come so we could build things ourselves. The Holy Spirit came to change us and to change the world. He didn't come so that we could build an organization of a corporate structure. He came so that we could build the kingdom. And the kingdom is much more dynamic than the walls of a church, of a denomination, of a particular set of belief systems. Go with me to Psalm 139. I, I, I love that. Um, so I was, I was like, I was smiling at, at Nia when we were doing that, I got the joy. Because the words are just like smack on where I want to get to with this sermon, this talk. So we go Psalm 139. I'll begin at, well, I'll I'll start, um, where should I start? I'll start at verse 4. We might move around a bit. Even before there is a word on my tongue, still unspoken, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Well, I'll start at verse 1. Lord, you've searched me thoroughly and have known me. You know me when I sit down, when I rise up, my entire life, everything I do. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before there's a word on my tongue still in spoken, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Here's something really interesting. God right now knows every stupid, idiotic thing you are going to do for the rest of your life. And knowing every stupid, idiotic thing you are going to do for the rest of your life, he still loves you and he's still planning on working through you. So it's about time you got over yourself because he's over you. And he's singing over you and delighting over you and going, man, it's so funny when they do them stupid things. <laughs> I saw it coming from years ago. He knows it all. And he knows every dumb thing you're going to say. And yet he still believes in you. Every stupid thing that comes out of your mouth, every dumb thing that comes out of your mouth, he knows it beforehand, and yet he still believes in you. He still thinks you can make a difference. Here's the big thing. He's not surprised by what you like. You might surprise yourself sometimes, but he's never surprised by you. You know, um, verse 3. You scrutinize my path and my lane down. You intimidate acquainted with all my ways. He knows your motivations. He knows what gets you excited and he knows what turns you off. He knows your ways. He knows the way you think. And even though those ways and those motivations might be rubbish right now, might be just like completely off right now, he still believes you're going to come through. He still knows you're going to come through. And he's still working in your life for you to come through. However far off you've got, he's working right now for you to come through because he believes in you when you don't even believe in yourself. And that is, that is the God that we have got, a God who believes in you even when you don't know that, that you can believe in yourself. You see, this is how I know that I can trust God because he knows all those things about me and he hasn't walked away. Yeah. And if he hasn't walked away, perhaps he's worth my trust. Because if everybody else knew everything about me that I know about me, they would all have walked away. And same for you. Forget, no, no, no scrubbing up your halo saying that one didn't apply to me. It applies to you. Here's what God thinks about you. Uh, going on to verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sands. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that, where was it? Yeah, that's it, 17 and 18. You see, I don't have to doubt that God is for me because right now, he's thinking precious thoughts towards me. And that just, that's what I mean about God's got some bigger things that our head can't get round because knowing everything that I know, I wouldn't be thinking those precious thoughts towards me. Knowing everything that, that any of us have done, you wouldn't be thinking those precious thoughts towards me. Except we have a God who's decided, because that's who he is, he's going to think precious thoughts towards you all the time. And not just one precious thought, innumerable precious thoughts that you can't even count. So while you're thinking you're one miserable, uh, <laughs> woe is me, pathetic thought, he's come up with a thousand, thousand, thousands precious thoughts coming back at you right now. 
Because that's the God he is. And that's why we can trust him. Amen. 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 Now, here's one of the, the worst things you can do. I know, because I've done it. Here's one of the worst things you can do. Disagree with God. You're not going to win. You see, I disagreed with God for years, maybe decades. You see, people go, well, you have a real problem about knowing God loves you. Well, no, I don't. I've never had a problem knowing God loves me. I've never had a problem seeing God as Father. I've never had a problem knowing that his love is unconditional to me. I never had a problem when people said he's got precious thoughts towards you. Never had a problem with it. I just disagreed with his opinion. Because I don't have precious thoughts towards me. So I disagreed with him. And it took God decades to get me to agree with him. And I was never going to win that one because he ain't changing. The only thing that moves around here is us. The only thing that changes around here is us because he's unchanging. And he's faithful and he's constantly loving and constantly good. And so I disagreed with his opinion of me. Well, when we say downgrading things about ourselves out of our own mouths, we are disagreeing with God. And that is too much endemic in the ever so humble Christianity that we have cultivated. You see, the worst thing you can do is disagree with God. Because when you disagree with God, nothing happens. Because faith is agreement with God. So when you disagree with him, you short-circuit the process. So when you disagree with what he says about you, you are short-circuiting the process. Here's the thing. You can't stop people saying about you anything they want to say about you, and they're going to say it. And they're going to say it at the coffee machine and behind your back and to other people, and they're going to say it by email and text and all sorts of things. Get over it. You can't stop it. The only, people that, the only thing that can change those people is the Holy Spirit. You can't. So people are going to say things about you. You do not have to agree with them. Because when you agree with them, you disagree with God. Therefore, you short-circuit the power of God. Here's what we do. We say about ourselves what God says about us. That's agreeing with God. Let me think if I can give you an example of this. Um, okay, so I've messed up. Yeah, some of you are not finding that hard to believe. I've messed up. Say, really? That, it, it's decades since you did that, Mark. You know? Right, let's imagine I've messed up. I've, I've really screwed up. I've done something that I shouldn't have done, whatever. I, I haven't. I haven't, <laughs> Cheryl. But let's just imagine I have. What do, what do you do? How, do? how do you get into agreement with God when you're in that place? You say, God, I've really screwed up. I, I recognize that what I did there was wrong. And here's what's embarrassing about that to me, God. That's not who I am. I'm not that person. You made me righteous inside. 
I got over into my flesh there, but right now I'm choosing to believe what you say about me, that as far as the issues of the West, you've removed the, those sins from me. You're not remembering them anymore. And I'm asking you, God, to help me now move on from those. And I'm asking you to fill me with your power. And I'm thanking you that I am your son and nothing will separate me from that, that you love me and nothing will separate me from that. I thank you that your love is unconditional towards me and nothing will separate me from that. I thank you that you've chosen to be my father and I thank you that you have seated me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And right now, whatever the consequences of what I've just done, you can sort it out, even if I can't. And right now, Lord, I believe that you're changing me from inside out. And I, right now, Lord, I believe I'm going beyond that and that's not going to happen again. And right now, Lord, I thank you that you have empowered me to change. That right now you're working in me to change me, to make me the fullness of Christ, which is your purpose in me, to make me look like your son. And I thank you, Jesus, that day by day I am looking more and more like your son. That's how we come into agreement with God. Do you, do you get it? Yes. We're not in denial. We're just denying the enemy the right to use it. Yes. I'll try that again. We're not in denial. We're just denying the enemy the right to use it against us. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll keep you awake. Right. Last, last bit. Go with me to Joshua. Chapter 1. Here we go. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise to take his place. Cross over the Jordan, you and all his people, into the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. I have given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness of Arabia in the south and this Lebanon in the north, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates in the east, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great Mediterranean Sea towards the west shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you to oppose you as long as you live. Just as I was present with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. Therefore, be strong and confident and courageous, we could say, be brave. For you will give this people as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. What's he saying? Be brave, trust me. Be brave, trust God. Now, here's, here's where, what I want to just see from this. He's saying, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. Moses had faults. Moses didn't actually get into the promised land because of his faults. Moses messed up on several occasions. Now, he's what's worse. Joshua isn't Moses, and he idolizes Moses. And Joshua's got his own issues. He's got his own weakness. But he isn't going to do the things that Moses did. He's going to do something that he was fitted to do. And he doesn't need to be Moses to do it. Because just as God was with Moses, so he will be with Joshua. It's the presence of God with us and with Joshua that makes a difference, not who Joshua is. And Joshua will do it in the way he's fitted to do because the presence of God's with him. 
And he doesn't have to be like Moses. And, and a lot of the time, the reason we doubt ourselves and we doubt God is we compare ourselves with somebody that we think is much better at this than we are. And the truth is, nobody is better at being you than you. And if God had wanted you to be like some great person you admire, he would have made you a clone. You know, he would have invented cloning a lot earlier so that you could be, the whole earth could be populated with this one superstar. But he doesn't work like that. You see, if it was about us, we'd get the glory. And there's too much in the kingdom about us admiring people and giving them the glory yeah. instead of believing God to display his glory through us. And, and we have to trust God to display his glory for us. Now, this is what he said. I will not fail you or forsake you. Again, God knows beforehand that Joshua is going to mess up. And he's saying to him, up front, Joshua, I know everything about you. I know every stupid, idiotic thing you're going to do. I know every dumb thing that's going to come out of your mouth. I know every rubbish decision you're going to take. And I'm still going to do it. And I'm not going to leave you. And I'm not going to forsake you. And it's not because I don't know who you are. It's because I do know who you are. And I'm delighting in you. And I'm choosing you. <coughs> that, uh, when it says forsake, that, that, that word means to relinquish hold of. God is never going to let you go. Yeah. However much you... You, you, you screw up, he's not going to let you go because he's promised, just like he did with Joshua, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Yeah. Yeah. Same words, I'm not going to let go of you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now, go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Quick run through Joshua. Let's do all the chapters. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as scouts secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho, the walled city. So they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. Now, see, here's where Joshua differs from Moses. Joshua is a military man, and he thinks military. And when you're a military man, you send scouts ahead of you to spy out the land to spy out the, the, the battle thing. Here's the problem with that. God didn't tell him to do it. He hasn't waited and listened for God's instructions. He's gone on his own wisdom as a military man. God has said, I'm going to be with you always. I know all the mistakes, all the screw-ups you're going to do in advance. Oh, by the way, Beginning of chapter 2, straight after God said it, Joshua takes things into his own hand. He should know better, shouldn't he? When, so what happened the last time they sent spies into the land? Yeah. They wandered around in the wilderness for you. Joshua makes the same mistake. Now, it doesn't cost him at that point. But you, when you get to uh, what's called the Battle of Ai in chapter 7, so go with me to chapter 7. Remember, God said to them, uh, you know, I'm going to give you everything. They've taken Jericho. They've blown the trumpets. The walls have come down. Jericho's been taken, not from anything they did, but from uh, just a miraculous act of God. Now, here's what happens. Joshua thinks, 
he's going to do things the same way. And he, he gets overconfident. Why? Why has he got overconfident? Because he's not listening for God's wisdom again. He's, he's using his information and he's using his limited ability. So God, Joshua takes what God has told him and reduces it down to what he can do. And we need to stop doing that because we end up making the same mistakes as Joshua did, which is running in to a mess because we were overconfident because we thought we got it all sussed. And we stopped walking with God and started running ahead of him. You know, people go, well, I, I need to catch up with God. Well, that's kind of really difficult catching up with God because the problem isn't that God's running ahead. The problem's often that God moves much more slowly than we do because he thinks in terms of eons. We think in terms of fast food. And so it's us that often get ahead of God. So here we, here we go. Um, this is the about the Battle of Ai, and it's most famous for, most well-known, because there's this guy called Arkan. And Arkan uh, takes stuff, spoils from the enemy when, he's been, when they've been told by God not to. And because of that, the whole thing uh, collapses, Israel can't prosper, and it all, it all gets sorted out in the end with a lot of deaths. So it's a, a major failing. But in this, it's sometimes missed that Joshua failed as well. So let's go first two to eight. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. There's getting a pattern here, isn't there? So the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not make all the people go up to fight. So Joshua sends men to spy out the land, which God hasn't told him to do. The people come back and say, You don't need to send as many people as we are going to send, because they're quite weak. They have only about 2,000 or 3,000 men. Go up and attack I. Do not make the entire army go up there, for they of I are few. So about 3,000 men from the sons of Israel went up there, but they fled in retreat from the men of I. The men of I killed about 36 of Israel's men and chased them from the gate as far as the bluffs of Shebarim, struck them down as they descended. So the hearts of the people melted in despair and began to doubt God's promise. And became like water, disheartened. That word that came through this morning. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought these people across the Jordan at all, only to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been living, willing to live the other side of the Jordan. Can you see the problem? Things didn't turn out like Joshua wanted, and he didn't get what he wanted when he wanted it, and now he's turned around and said, God, why did you do that? And yet, the problem is, he sent spies in, they came back with a report, and he acted on the basis of the report, and went off on his own way again. And yet, despite all of that, God never forsook him. He never gave up on him. And he never stopped backing him. And he kept on working out his purposes through him. You know, God's promised you the same thing. 
He's promised you that as he was with Moses, so he will be with you. Because I will be with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that what Jesus said? That means whatever you think about yourself, whatever you've messed up, whatever dumb, stupid things you have done, he ain't going anywhere. And that's good news, isn't it? He isn't going anywhere. Now, here's the other thing. You might fail, but he will not fail you. You might go off and do something like Joshua did and take it all in his own hands and you might mess up, but he's still there waiting there, right there to, for you to go before him and he's going to help you pick up the pieces and put it back together again. He's still going to work out his plans through you. You might go right on. You might like steam ahead, get way ahead of him, but he's not going to leave you. He's going to run and catch you up. Just like the, the father ran to the prodigal son, he's going to run to you. He will stick with you whatever. And that is why we can be brave. That is why we can trust God. We might be totally untrustworthy at times, but he will always be trustworthy. Because he's never going to let you go. You know, when it says, I will be with you always to the end of the age, that word uh, always is literally all the days. I will be with you all the days to the end of the age. He's not missing out on down days. He's not missing up out on up days. He's not missing out on disappointing days and he's not missing out on joyful days. He's not missing out on sick days and he's not missing out on happy days. He's not missing out on tragic days and he's not missing out on overcoming victory days. He's there all the days. All the days of your life, God is with you and he will never forsake you and he will never leave you. And that's just so powerful because it means that good days, bad days, mess up days, stupid days, doing dumb thing days, God is with you. He's thinking precious thoughts about you. He's looking over you. He's caring for you. His wisdom's available to you. His life's available to you. His power's available to you. And you have never moved from being seated with him in heavenly places. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.